You, you're listening to Punk Theology. Yes, episode 50 of the Punk Theology Podcast, season one. Loneliness is the topic today. Is it something self-imposed? Is lonely just, just this feeling? Is it, does it overwhelm us? Does it, is it depression? What is loneliness? That's the question. Punktheology.org You don't know what they are about me Is there something that you should know? I can tell you what you want to hear Let your inhibitions brought up briefly in the last episode and I thought it would be a really good topic just to have in general is loneliness because uh, I've been doing this thing where I write out the stories of uh, the little kids that were me uh, that really wrestled with stuff uh, and I just this is the first time you're sharing this in the podcast but I think so at least com- I'm done with my first whatever you want to call it book or whatever it's yeah. pretty short uh, but there's ten of them uh, and and it's a good, it's been really helpful for me in general just to work through this stuff. It's kind of like a version of EMDR almost and that I'm, you know, like in it and reliving it. And, and through the process of writing it out, I have to remember it and just kind of be in that kid mm-hmm. uh, and remember what it's like. Um, and, and just realizing, so I've reread these, you know, probably a dozen times each now, you know, the editing here and there and tweaking, but mostly just like reading through them and living in it. Um, and uh, and the theme that goes through it is just this intense loneliness. Mm. And I was a lonely fucking kid, uh, <coughs> really. And it got really bad between the ages of ten and fifteen. And I just did not have friends that I that I connected with. Mm. And just this this intense, like like I really internalized that I was gross. Mm. Right, that I was just a gross person that nobody wanted to be around, and and I re- and which worse is I really felt like there was like potential in me, like I can, mm. like I really could be a good friend. I promise. Like I, th- I think you would really like me if you got to know me. And I can't figure out how to make that connection with anybody. Mm. How to overcome I, the awkwardness? Yeah, and, and just and 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 just really you know and then I'd make the effort and just fucking crash and burn and it'd be a total disaster and then I'd totally internalize that right what did that look like it was desperation mm. like like you know that nobody wants to be friends with a desperate person right but the but but that makes it so much worse right like like I can't like, I had a conversation with Chuck earlier about, you know, metering out the crazy when you meet somebody. Hmm. Uh, because if you try and hold it all back, it just kind of explodes all over the place. <laughs> yeah. uh, and figuring out how to, how to release it. Metering the crazy. Yeah, no, it's like a spillway in a dam, right? You just kind yeah. of let it open and you let it come out real slow so that person gets used to you. Got to ease you into the crazy. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I was just so full. I was so pent up with that desperation that it would just... Just come out in huge waves right and i would freak the hell out of anybody that was that i was with and so you know turned into this kind of outcast um and that just came up over and over and over um in those stories and and gosh it's just really painful to live through that and then part of this process i've been talking to jonathan a little bit is the regression that comes with Mm. reliving those memories and the last three or four weeks, I had just really gone back to that spot of feeling that desperation and and just, like, even just being around the house, right? Like, I've got, you know, wonderful wife who's easy to talk to, great kids. I've got this. But this just haunting, crippling loneliness that settled over me. And this, like, des- so I've been this almost compulsive desire to reach out to some of these old acquaintances that I had in in those moments and try and I don't know like and it's and it's not like it's very back of the brain stuff Mm -hmm. it's not like 
you know, I have a plan and I'm going to do this. It's very compulsive, like, like oh, I just got to get on Facebook and, you know, send this. It's kind of logic-based, though, right? Well, You're trying to fix it? No, like, no, it doesn't. It just feels, it's like I have this thirst, this right. desperate thirst, and I've just got to do something do with, something. It, with yeah. the energy. Uh, uh, yeah, get that energy out somehow. Um and so, you know, trying to kind of make some of these connections with other people. And, it, you know, it's like, why the fuck are you texting me? Yeah. Like, <laughs> we haven't talked in 15 years. It's seemingly random. Right? And, and, then, and, I'm still, and I'm still having trouble in that moment because I'm that little kid of not letting the crazy all out at one time, right? Like, yeah. oh, hey, we haven't talked in 15 years. Like, here's, like, where all the shit I'm dealing with. And, and like, you know, just feeling, you know, it's text, right? So then you can imagine this person freaking out on the other end and, oh, Oh, they haven't responded. Like, did I just freak them the fuck out? Are they never going to talk to me? Are they telling all their friends about, oh, Derek's gone crazy? Uh, you know, he's he's just as crazy as he always was. And, and some of these people are, you know, people that I have some uncomfortable history with. Uh, and some of them were people I wasn't all that nice to, too. Right. So we've got this, this and it's just fucking torturous being back in that spot. And it's really, you know, I've been just kind of emotionally it's not even it's mostly draining but it's mostly painful just to to be back in this spot and fe- and and the rational part of me says you know you got your wife you got this really close group of friends you've got all these other you know uh, acquaintances that are pretty good friends that you can reach out to and it just won't go away um, and and part of me knows like like that's good. Me just sitting in that, working through that, trying to come to peace with that, um, is is part of the process. I'm excited to work through a lot of that. But man, it fucking sucks. It's is, really painful. Is part of that desire to reach out to some of these people in your past? Is it to make amends for things, or is it just to reconnect? I think I'm trying to heal that kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm just trying to like give him what he always wanted, mm. right? Like like he'd be my own kid, like. Like, that desire to give your kids mm-hmm. what they want. Like, it feels real mm-hmm. similar. Like, this drive to, like, hey, like hey, buddy, I love you. Like, I really want to, you know, like, you're okay. Mm-hmm. Like, you can be whole. Uh, like, look who you turned into. You've got this great stuff. Uh, and, but the kid's just kind of like, yeah, but, but I really just, you know, I'm just really fucking lonely. Uh, I reached out to somebody on Facebook and it was so bad that they shut their friend request ability down on Facebook. So they you can't yeah, no longer ask this person to be friends and never respond. Yeah. Oh crap. Because you, you, you said you sent them something? Yeah, I sent a friend request and just sent them a note, a messenger, just saying, Hey, I'm sorry for the way I was back then and hope you're doing well and you know uh, like, whoa, whoa, I've got a few of those, too. It's like, oh, <laughs> what that, that do to you? <laughs> I don't know if that's, I should be laughing. It, it hurt. Because I didn't want anything. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm with you. Okay, I just thanks. wanted that. Some of it was probably regret right. for back in the day. But the other, maybe it was to say, hey, I'm not that guy now. Yeah. Uh, who, you, who you knew back then. In particular, there's a, there's a couple of ex-girlfriends that I have that I've just had, like, I don't think I can reach out to them, but but I've just been swamped with a lot of like, God, like I was, I'm, that's the other part of this is, so I wrote out these these ten children, uh, and they're all in different positions where they felt abused and were abused, to some capacity. And then the other part that I'm kind of dealing with after having getting, gotten those out is dealing with the kids that were the abuser, and in some way that's so much harder because. Yeah. Because it's easy to love these kids that were abused. Right. It's really hard to 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 love these kids that were that were little dickheads and broke relationships and and even you know that relationship is broken and that relationship is justly broken because I fucked that up and I don't blame you for not wanting to talk to me about this or or have any contact with me again because because yeah I and and just that heaviness of. Like, like I really want to fix this. So there's just not a good way to do that. Uh, just really sitting in that. There's a so you're reminding me of the twelve steps actually, and, and going through the twelve steps. I was forced into recovery when I was seventeen, eighteen. I can't remember. 
um, was forced into rehab by the state of Washington. And and I, I was forced, forced, <laughs> which I don't know. Like I have friends who are like, oh, it's no wonder you don't like to close up so much. You are forced to do them. Uh, but there's something, too. I did go, uh, when I was addicted to amphetamines, to a 12-step group because of what I learned um, in, in, in alcohol recovery as I open a beer. <laughs> but there's, a, there's this one, step eight, and it reminds me of what you're saying. Made a list of all the persons that had harmed, um, that I had harmed, and it became willing to make amends to them all. So, and, and part of what you're taught in a step eight is that you're going to reach out, almost like, I don't know, Facebook, like, because I've done that too. Like, I've, I've reached out to some folks on Facebook and they just didn't friend me or didn't respond. or And some of it could be that they're not real active on Facebook. Like, we really don't know. Right, right. But the fact that you're making the effort to, to reach out and say, hey, I may have wronged you. I'm making amends here. Um, I'm, I'm working to make amends here. Is is there's something commendable about that, and it's cool that you're doing it as a person who wasn't addicted <laughs> to heroin or or you know stole someone's stereo or something like that. Um, I, I stole from my mom to get high when I ran out of my connections with cocaine. Um, I broke into people's houses, shit like that. I haven't made amends to them. I don't even know who they are. Uh, to make some amends, though, but I did. I did work to make amends, and there's something to that that work of of trying to make right what you've broken. That it's almost like your heart is doing that. And it's that you know what we were talking about in the previous episode of like I can imagine this working, and I can imagine me getting to a place where I have a healed relationship with these people. But the reality of it is so much uglier than that. And uh, what's and the reality? That that, is, that uh, the, many of these people may not be interested, right? Like, or something you're thinking about that's not even on their radar. And one of the the themes I also str- came up over and over and over again with these kids is the um, oh shit, I lost my train of thought. Where was I? What was I just talking about? Uh, Making amends. Um, these people trying to oh, yeah, yes. um, whether they're interested or not. Yeah, was this? Uh... Oh, shit. Sorry, I'm so, making I'm so thick into it that I making amends. The people might not be interested in reciprocating. What is that? Oh yeah, yeah. Of the um... shit, man. The people I'm... might not be interested in reciprocating or interested in restoring. What does that have to do with loneliness? Um... For me, yeah, I think I'm too deep into it to make sense of it anymore. It would be I would be less lonely because that would be restored, or that would be yeah. uh, amended or forgiven. Or I'm back. I remember. Good. That's it. Right. <laughs> it was yeah. I'm back. How do I make people like me? Mm. That was it. Mm. Like the like I know like you know I've got this engineer's brain right. Like give me a problem I can fix it. Yeah. Right, and so much of the age between ten and fifteen was like, I can figure this out. There's got to be a handle somewhere. If I just find it and grab it, I can figure out how to make people like me. And so much futility in that. Oh, yeah. Like I tried so oh, fucking hard, and and the, just the act of trying fucked it up worse, yeah. right? Yeah. Because people could sense that yeah. that I was yeah. trying so hard yeah. to make this relationship work and make you like me. That and uh, and I'm right back in there right now of like how do I make these people like me again right mm. um, going back and right and right yeah. like and uh, and and just coming up against the yeah you can't you yeah. can't make these people yeah, like you but I but but it doesn't make the desire go away it doesn't make that that real strong longing to make this work like I have in my head and to. And to reestablish that relationship and turn it into something healthy, and I want it so bad right now because again, I'm connected with that kid mm. that wanted it so bad, and but and I'm and then just frustrated because I'm, you know, I'm 35 years old, and I'm in the same fucking place, like like I should be able to figure this out by now, right? Uh, but but it's just as futile now 
as it was being that little twelve year old stuck in his room. Well, that's what trauma is, with. though. Is you get lot, it gets stuck in time. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I that don't is beat yourself so up for it. I'm not breaking, beating myself up. I'm just uh, communicating the struggle. Gotcha. And, and in a recovery group, you know what we would say? We would say you're awesome for even doing it because a step eight. That's the funny thing about step studies is you go up to step four and usually people are out. <laughs> right. Step four. Step four is you make a a a. I'm not looking at the list this time, so I'm going by memory. Um, a step four is you make a list of all of your 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 shit. You make a list of your shit, and you struggle to heal that or or correct it or even just or something. Or even just sit in it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just to, to make a to make the list is the exercise, right. and that's the thing. That's what I like about the twelve steps too. Is it's not, it's not I accomplished this. It's that I've, I'm going to make. The language is really interesting in how this dude wrote this. The guy was fucking brilliant. Whoever wrote the twelve steps, I'll give him that. I don't I don't always agree with all of it, but Bill W. Uh, we who used to do acid, by the way. Oh, he did it fucking lots of shit. He was mainly mainly an alcoholic. Admitted to God. The language is made a. It's all past tense. I made a. I made a list of all the persons I had harmed, and became uh, became willing. Became willing. I, that language is awesome too. I became willing to make amends to them all, and just the fact that you would be willing to do that is is awesome like it's it's that's part of your heart that's a beautiful part of your heart and that's another part of us humans like we're less likely to give ourselves credit for the good shit we do we always tend to like look at the bad shit we do and shit ourselves for it so as your friend and more than a guy in a 12-step group that i don't fucking know um I just want to say that that's awesome that you've done that. And the fact that you're not addicted to some substance and you're doing it and struggling with it even shows more about your character and your heart. Because you're a guy who really desires that. Now, it's attachment to loneliness is something else because attachment theory is really interesting in psychology today. Like, attachment theory is what they're really starting to go after with addiction, especially, and with anxiety or depression. Because what we're attached to <clears throat> tends to make us feel a certain way, mm-hmm. you know? I think that I don't really identify with models of, of recovery. That's just not the world I, mm-hmm. I'm in or was ever in. But, but I don't know. It seems like the past, over the past decade, you know, even past couple of years even, on, on occasion, not often, but I've gotten a handful of, of e- I got an email a couple of years ago, uh, some IMs, Facebook, whatever, where people would just randomly, hey, you know, thinking about you, someone I haven't talked to in years, but you had influence in my life at this time or over this time. And it's just so sweet, right. usually, to just hear from somebody that I've maybe, you know, forgotten about or moved on from or they moved on from me or whatever, but just, hey, I was thinking about you and X or this memory or or you really influenced me here and, and I just want you to know that. And there's just, that's so humbling and so sweet. I mean, I can't imagine, and I don't know the people that you ran with, you're, you were in North Idaho, by the way, <laughs> but, but, but just on that very human level, I, I can't imagine that anything would be met with any sort of, like, who the fuck are you? Fuck off. Like, I can't imagine that. I could be wrong, but that's hard for me to imagine, like, in, just being human. I think know? another part of it is just, I'm still, I'm also back in that spot where I was just so insecure. Mm-hmm. I have this one memory. I went on a vacation um, to a lake. The house that my family used to go to, which was an awesome place, and there was kids and stuff all over the place. Uh, and I spent the like three or four days ignoring my family, going out walking, and seeing all these groups of kids that I wanted to go mm. approach, and just standing on the edge, watching them, and and not being able to work up the guts, yep. and just spending day like literally mm. days wandering around. And getting right up to the edge of like, okay, I'm going to go talk to them and, and chickening out because I didn't have the confidence. Uh, and there's, yeah, and that was, in that age, there's just so much of that. Like, mm-hmm. like I'm going to fuck it up. 
Like, like it's just going to be as bad as it's always been. Uh, they're going to think I'm weird. Um, uh, yeah, and I just, I was, yeah. And I, I still struggle with that uh, quite a bit. I hate parties for that reason. Um, I also don't think I usually make a very good first impression um, because I because I don't always do a good job of spilling the crazy slowly. <laughs> right? People are like, like, whoa, like, that was way too deep, way too fast. Well, you're, um, you're on worst critic. You, you, I am, and yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. other thing. Like, I really attach to my failures socially. Mm. Like, I mess something up socially, and I will go beat myself up for it for the next week, and then periodically, over the next couple of weeks, come back and beat myself up over it again. Like, I just get so focused on, boy, you fucked that up. Um, let's just sit and beat myself up for it for a really long time. Um, when I first met you, you brought a dude to Leo and I's group who was addicted to meth and porn. And porn. Mm. But mostly <laughs> meth. Like, we were more concerned about right. The meth. Right. And uh, my, my first impression of you was was here's a dude who's probably not going to fit into this group of addicts, but you struck me as someone who really gave a shit about people. And that really struck me as, like, this guy's pretty cool because here he is. This has got to be an uncomfortable situation for him. And I could tell, like, I could feel that you were kind of uncomfortable in the group, you know, as kind of an outsider because this guy was in your community group, right? And uh, But, yeah, that's what that's what... You, you struck me as someone with compassion and who, someone who cared about people, and that's why you were there. And uh, so I just wanted to tell you that. Thanks. It, that was the first time I ever met you. you know? I've always really connected best with people in some version of a recovery group. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like. Because nobody's faking. There's right? no rules. There's, there's, no, there's no rules. <laughs> right? Like, like, all these people at some level are. Like, they want to get back into society, right? That's why they're <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah. So, and, and they're willing to go really deep really fast, which yeah. is what I, which is my default. It's just to go way too deep, way too fast, which usually scares most people off, but doesn't scare anybody off in a recovery group. Um, yeah. Because a lot of them are, if they haven't gone really deep really fast, they're up against the wall trying to get themselves to go really deep really fast. You know what they say? Hmm. Pass. Yeah, right. That's what you're kind of taught to do. Yeah. just say pass. And I've never been a pass guy. <laughs> I will tell you all yeah, the shit yeah. that's bugging me yeah. right now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so so it's been, and in particular, one of the kids I I wrote about. Um, so all my kids die at the end of the story, um, because and it's it comes off if you don't have any context, it comes off really dark. That I'm killing all these kids, but I wrote an introduction that helps people if they ever read it um, get some context for it. And the context is that you know these are all kids that were me, that are me, uh, and they're kind of dead because they're not me anymore. Right. Like they're they're who they were, what they were struggling with, what they were thinking, who they were in that moment. I don't necessarily have a ton in common with them anymore. And time's kind of killed them, and they're kind of frozen in time. But at the same time, I I called these. Uh, kids, the the ghosts of dead children, because they're kind of ghosts, because they're still there and they're still crying out for help, and they're still stuck in this moment of trauma, and uh, and so this one kid that I wrote uh, is the only suicide that I have in the in the story who goes home and kills himself, um, and the one that was and the feeling that was strongest in that story was the insecurity that I had. And I, after I wrote it, I had a full week of just crippling insecurity. Mm. Like I just had to, like I, I just had to tell Misha, like I'm incredibly insecure right now. Like I just need you to, you know, like cuddle, mm -hmm. like tell me, like can you just? I know this is, you know, can you just tell me you love me like eight times, mm -hmm. right? Um, and that. Rip the scab off that. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and there's definitely still a lot of that left in me. I'm still. I, it's not nearly as bad as it was. I'm not crippled. Like I was, I was crippled. Like I was having trouble getting through work because mm -hmm. it was so bad. Um, but but there's still a lot of that left over too, of just like yeah. And and it doesn't make any logical sense. There's no reason behind it. No, it's, it's just this kid waking up 
you know, this kid that's been asleep in the back of my head for a long time that's just screaming, like, I'm still fucking a mess. I'm still so insecure, and I can't, like, and I just want to fucking kill myself because this is meaningless and I don't have any fucking direction and nobody's ever going to like me. Did you have suicidal thoughts when you were a kid at that time? I didn't. Well, I had that, like, I didn't actually, like, plan it out or, like, obsess over it. Right. But I remember in that feeling, in that moment, feeling like, I just want to fucking kill myself. Mm. Like, in the in the thing that triggered it. Of, like, like this is so fucking painful. And I'm so gross. And, and nobody's ever going to like me. You really went back there. Right, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and that's still, yeah. so I'm still working... Did you do EMDR stuff with that kind of shit? Oh yeah, big time. But so and here's and, the, the, and I kind of we well not and my my first uh, the first let's see what I'm seven months in or so and and, and 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 of the seven months I there's probably like four weeks I didn't go so let's just use round numbers say six months mm-hmm. I would say three to four months of it was on loving. And making peace with childhood versions of myself, right? Like, like parts of myself as a kid that I hated, and uh, yeah, like learning to like, like what Derek's describing, and what a lot of therapy is, I think, is is you're you're learning how to reparent, you're reparenting yourself is, is yeah. a lot of what it is, and oh yeah, that came back big time, um, but. Uh, but what, what he, he he's describing, and, and I, I can relate to it some, is when you go back into those memories, those feelings come up and you start to feel them in the here and now. So you start to feel insecure or awkward. Or, uh, for, for, for me, it was a lot of self-loathing. Derek's kind of describing that, too. Yeah. Um, he's describing it differently than, than I experienced it. My story's different, maybe. But, but just self-loathing. And, and, and for me, it was like... Uh, uh, I had one process where, um, you know, working on some insecurity issues and and those questions of love and am I worthy of love and all, all this stuff is like, you know, okay, so 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 when's the first time like like you know you didn't feel good enough or something? And I came to this memory of of uh, being at a public pool when I was eleven and, and this kid like teasing me for for being fat, like really, really just like. Like horrible, and and I I remember going off the diving board as he was teasing me, and I remember hitting the water, just like what I felt like inside (laughs) as I hit the water. It's just like, like I I just kind of curled up in a fetal position, like oh that hurts, you know. Not the water hurts, but this this cruel kid hurts, and uh, it took several weeks to work through that process in EMDR. Of just that painful memory, of, you know, it's pretty common childhood stuff. I'm not belittling it. What did no. you do with it as a kid? I mean, as a kid who, in the moment <clears throat> when the kid's making fun of you, I felt shame, <clears throat> embarrassment, just held it in. I mean, you know, how, I, I, how did that get acted out? Well, that's the thing is, like, I, I held on to it. Right. You know, I, I just internalized it and held on to it. And so then it comes out later with, okay, you didn't deal with that or that that's still in the some way present in, in, in your body. And as I'm working through that process, um, you, you know, I got to a place where, you, you know, it wasn't as bothersome to me. Like I kind of moved down to where, you know, when I went into the memory, it would bother me like on a scale of one to ten, like maybe a, a six or a seven. But I got it down to like maybe, you know, a three or a four. It's not as bothersome or whatever. You, you really want to get down to a zero or a one using the EMDR <clears throat> protocol. But but my therapist is like, you know, what do you say to that kid? Like, oh, you know, I would tell that kid that, that you know, he's smarter than he thinks he is, that it'll turn out fine, that he has resources that he doesn't even know about, that, that he's going to be okay, that he's going to have good friends, he's going to have a good life. And, uh, and, and she picks up on this. <laughs> the way I'm talking and she basically says you know I'm not hearing a lot of love from you yeah. as you're thinking about that that 11 year old version of yourself it's more cerebral yeah. it's more cerebral yeah. and and the words just came out of my mouth without thinking like I didn't even think about it I go well well, no I don't love him he's a fat piece of shit mm-hmm. like oh and then the tears come yeah. just yeah. as I said it well no I don't love him he's a fat piece of shit 
talk about my 11 year old self that way the tears just came as i said it like i didn't even realize it then okay we got some more emdrs to do <laughs> and, fuck man would so come out. and now and now i'm sorry just no, let me sorry. i love that kid love that kid like i don't I, I love that kid. And, and so a lot of EMDR therapy, or I think you know, it doesn't have to be EMDR, just good therapy is about integration of those lost parts of yourself and embracing them. And, and that's, that's a real gift, is to have that kind of peace and, and that kind of love. And, uh, you know, in subsequent processes, I, I've seen my wife with him, my 11-year-old self. I've seen my friends with him. It's like, oh, like, the people you love kind of love the most awkward, horrible parts of you. You know, you, you yeah. kind of realize that. Right. That's sweet. That's that's one yeah. of the gifts of, of therapy, I think. So mine came out in anger. Uh, the pain would come out in anger. And it would come out in anger in ways that I knew I could... I wouldn't get the shit beat out of me. Mm. It. And it was typically in my home. You know, towards my family, uh, towards... Uh, a, lot, most of, a lot of it was verbal and then I got older it became more physical like hitting walls and doors and stuff but it was all that pain of see I was I look at, looked at myself as about that same age as this skinny piece of shit <laughs> you know that wasn't friends didn't have good friends um, I, I assumed every friend I had was just about to walk away and it wasn't really until I got into college I started to develop friends that I still have and that know me. And I've got I've got probably on a handful in all my life that, that um, we don't agree on everything, just like this group. Um, but it allows me to be real and to know that I can come undressed, so to speak, like Russ would say about a home group. He goes, they don't make you naked, I'll get naked in there. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they want to see naked. I'll, I'll completely open myself up. But that's where I was. Is mine was rage, and, mm. uh, and I've. It's interesting because as I've become more aware of that and uh, accepting who that kid was, and realizing that I am worth something, I'm becoming less and less afraid to try. This moving into the sales job. Um, I'm feeling different emotions with that because it's something new, and that fear of failing fear of is, is the playing. New, yeah, and it's interesting because I've had feedback from four or five just random customers said, "Oh, of course you're going to be in sales. You're awesome," you know, because I can go in and have a personality with these people. But that's where mine came out. That's why I was asking you, how did that manifest itself as that? Oh, I got you, kid. Yeah. Because mine was anger. You know, that if I fail at something, um, Little League, if I struck out, oh, God. Uh, I, was, I was a pretty good Little League player, uh, but if I struck out, I would slam the bat down or I'd throw the bat. You know, I never yelled at the ref. It was, it was all internalized. Yeah. Just kind of you little piece of shit. You can't even get a hit. Dang. Yeah. And it's, and it was the first 30 years of my marriage, my life experience is that. Because I still didn't feel good, you know, for 30 years. And it wasn't until about the last 10 years that I've started to feel that I have value and worth. And I think that's kind of what I went back to that one friend was trying to reestablish that and say, hey, I'm okay. You know, I'm yeah. not that guy. You can trace that all the way back to that kid. Yeah. It's like frozen, man. We oh, just yeah. get frozen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that was something I was thinking about even in my EMDR session. And, uh, and I've talked about this. Before on this show, um, being molested, you know, and the and working through that the first time, some of what you were talking about kind of came up. I don't I don't know if it, if it was because you were going through what you were going through, and I know you were what, but that's just what came up is that kid was murdered there, that kid was killed there. There's a fucking chalk outline, you know. But what was weird was, and, and, you know, the therapist is also kind of directing some of this. <clears throat> and she goes, <clears throat> but he's not dead, though. <laughs> you know, he's not dead, though. And I'm like, oh, shit, you're right. He's right next to me, you know. 
And, and that's, that's where the analogy of the ghost comes in. Yeah, the ghost. Right. It's He's, a presence of something that's not there, but it's still there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, and it's and it's. I'm trying to get it from the perspective of me facing that ghost and being antagonistic towards it, like it's in front of me and it's looking me in the eyes. Yeah. I'm trying to shift it so that it's behind me on my shoulder, right? Yeah. Like, like he's part of me now. He's He's looking at life with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's there. He's probably, he's talking to me. He's, you know, he's part of who I am. We're going to live life facing forward, both looking in the same direction and, yeah. and moving forward in that instead of him just being constantly yeah, yeah, yeah. in front of me, looking at my eyes, me and my eyes, so that every time I experience something, he's he's fighting against yeah. me yeah, in yeah. that moment. So, so just trying to get... That the flip. It's that integration piece. That's integration. Yeah, it's yeah, integration. Soul integration. Yeah. Is, That's is, huge. Is, man. Is That's huge. Which has come up, yeah, you know, because that is the biggest. I've had a number of people, my sister in particular, raise concern about the dead analogy. And I say, dead but a ghost. Like, they're yeah. not. I'm not trying to fucking bury this kid and get him to go away. Right, I'm not even trying to. Or part of you already did. Part of you did bury him. Right, fucking right, and that's the problem. Shovel, put the right. So now I'm digging digging him back up, right? And and or the ghost is just like walking around haunting you, and you're you're cognizant of it. You're or I said he was dead, and he's right. He's just been buried in a box for twenty years. (laughs) You knocking on the box. I laugh, but it's so true. Yeah, I laugh because it's true. Well, it's it's. I've explained my stories to a couple people, and I always start giggling when I start to explain it to them, because it's so fucking dark. Like, it's like, like dark comedy. Yeah, like how, like, me trying to explain this to you is funny to me because it's, yeah, because it's yeah. so like, like the first two or three minutes of me explaining to this, you're going to freak the fuck out and think, like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> right? Yeah. Which is what... I've had a couple people read these stories now, and that's kind of what... Like, the first three or four, they're like, what the fuck? Like, do we need to commit this guy? <laughs> like, uh, but... But that's the element of comedy and tragedy, right? right? right. And philosophy. I don't know if you guys study philosophy or anything. Like yes, that, I do. You do. Or I, do. <laughs> but, I have. No, but, yeah, that's the comedy and tragedy. Like if you were tragic about it, then it's more to concern. Right. Like it's almost more concerning if you're not laughing about right. it, because then you're like super oh, serious, oh. right? Then you're going all yeah. Yeah, I've, when I've always thought dark things were super funny. Yeah, so, I have a dark sense of humor yeah. too. Yeah, the guy you have to worry about is the guy that's not writing it out and <laughs> talking about. Right. That's the guy you have to worry about. <laughs> I love that in the anger management, right? It's not the guy who's yelling at the cashier in the line at the Walmart that she didn't check out his groceries right. It's the guy behind him who's not saying anything and has a shotgun under his <laughs> overcoat. <fucking> fuming. <laughs> yeah, it's that guy you need to worry about. Yeah. I thought of that scene in Billy Madison, the Steve Buscemi character that he bullied and he calls him up to apologize. And oh yeah, he's got to kill us. Yeah, he says he kill us, and he crosses the name Billy Madison off the kill list. Like, oh yeah, man, thanks for calling. No and he crosses off Billy Madison off his kill list, and then he puts on some red lipstick and sits. Couch. Some Steve Buscemi, man. Oh god. Oh man. So how are you right now, though? Is this still? Are you still? It feels in- good. It always like it's incredibly cathartic to just. Like, the more I talk about it, the more I get it out, the more it feels like that kid is turning. Sure, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and so, and and part of me tends to get a little obsessive about that. Like, like I just want everybody in the world to read this. So it can turn. Right? Uh, and just, like, if I get this out there, it'll help me turn this kid around. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting other people's perspectives on it. Um, so, yeah. and it, But, so, yeah, talking about it helps a lot. It feels good to you. You still are you, you still feeling that loneliness? Though? It's still pretty fairly palpable. Yeah, it feels good talking about it though. Like, but it's eased some over the months or over the couple of weeks. Yeah, and it's and it you know it flares back up and then proceeds and uh, uh, yeah and, and it's definitely something I'm going to have to you know part of the reason for me writing this out is so that I could go to a therapist. And be like, well, here's ten. <laughs> Read these. I got them right. Far. I've, I've got them. Yeah, I've got the momentum behind them. Let's let's do these ten. I've got, you know, a couple dozen others. But well, I'm glad I, you said that because that would be my 
question also is not doing self therapy. No, yeah, the idea is like I'm not done, right? This is like John uses the number analogy, right? So if these were at tens, and I may have moved them to sixes or sevens, and the goal is to get them to a two, but I'm going to need help. Yeah, that's an EMDR, right? They they start with what is this to you? It's a ten, and then you just get process. down to one or zero yeah. but, but just rereading them and reliving them always it helps Like you, you've had some family around the past couple of weeks you share these with, with your family I haven't yet I'm trying to figure out well so I have shared them with all my siblings Okay. And my sister in particular is engaged with them and she's uh, she's a therapist so yeah. part of her so she, we had this great conversation the other day and she's like uh I read these as a sister, and I read these as a therapist, and those two are very much in conflict, like, trying to figure out what to say to you. Uh, so, like, you know, like, as a sister, like, I love you, it gives me per- some perspective, but but I'm trying not to let the therapist jump <laughs> jump all over you. Uh, but, I, you know, we went through a couple of the therapy things, and, and she, she was just concerned about the regression, that it was going to start affecting my relationships, which it, it has occasionally here and there, but it's not been anything bad. And it was something that I was aware of of like oh yeah like this could come up and 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 just being aware that I'm going to regress helps a ton because because mm-hmm. instead of like freaking out like what the fuck is going on it's kind of like oh yeah like this is this is that kid who's who I've given permission to, to come back in a little bit and so he's taking the reins a little bit yeah. right so he's he's driving and that's that's fine i mean i i don't want to let it do any damage but at the same time, like, yeah, you know, you can you can drive things a little bit. And I'll just sit here with you and, uh, and we'll and, work and if, the shit And out. if he does the damage, that's okay. Especially with coworkers. That's what coworkers do. <laughs> <laughs> coworkers. I do have this one, this one coworker who's, she's incredibly intelligent. Like, intelligent and then also emotionally intelligent. And there's definitely been some times where it's like, this is crossing the professional line right like like oh like i probably should apologize for you because this is this is uh to you but she's she's really cool about and she's uh shared some of this stuff that she's gone through too her mom just died so she's Mm -hmm. been uh kind of walking through some of that stuff with me but but yeah it's 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 uh yeah and it it's very cathartic just to kind of let it out and to find people um but yeah, and, and it's hard because a lot of these relationships are, you know, I grew up in Idaho, so these are people in Idaho. So it's not like I can, you know, hey, you want to hang out sometime? Right. And, and yeah. ease my way into it. Like, you know, Facebook's kind of my only connection. It's kind of a terrible connection. Um, and, it, and in some ways it kind of exacerbates because it leaves so much to the imagination of like, what's this person thinking? Really? Like, I can't yeah. read them very well. They're just sending me texts back and forth. Which is probably not the healthiest way to do it, <laughs> but I, yeah. So, but, but, and again, it's almost like this obsession to reach out with. Like, I can't kind of can't help myself a little bit. That's cool though that you can do that because for me, like, I was never really the, I don't know, the, I was the shy kid for a while. So I started like doing therapy and shit like that when I was a kid because I was, I was a fucked up kid. Like, I would skip school a lot and do. I, w- I would get in trouble in class, and and, uh, and and so that was a problem. So anyway, they brought me into you know these classes and, and therapies and stuff like that. As a lot of it was after my parents got divorced, and probably from the first molestation because that don't fuck you up as a kid. And so I learned that I was that I had low self esteem. So that's kind of like I don't know late seventies, early eighties, mm-hmm. or whatever. You got low self-esteem, Russ. So they, their answer was, as a therapist, to really make me feel really good about myself. Mm-hmm. And I did. I started to feel good about myself. But I was still really fucked up inside. So I just became a really confident asshole. Right. <laughs> and as a kid, I don't know that I was an asshole all the time. I was just really shallow. And I lied a lot. Like, I would lie about shit that I didn't even need to lie about. I would just lie for... To get people to like me, you know, I'd make shit up, and and sometimes I get caught in my lies, and I was like, oh well, you know, and people would still like me, which was weird, 
But I, I got good at making friends and getting people to like me, but they didn't know me. Right. And so I was, I was the guy. Like I told my daughter because she went through this, this kind of phase where she was checking out all the, you know, Myers Briggs and stuff like that, and, and extrovert, introvert. And she's like, well, you know, all the social stuff is easy for you, Dad, because you're an extrovert. And I said, well, I'm an extroverted introvert. <laughs> and she's like, well, what the fuck is that? I said, I can get people to like me, but I don't want to get close to you. Right. Like, don't fucking ask me personal questions about myself. Just keep it about two inches deep, and I'm cool with you. And I can be the party guy. I can walk into a room. I can hold court. I heard one guy say that on a radio show. He said, uh, he said the reason I have this show, it was almost... He was Tom Likas. I don't know if you. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I listen to him all the time. Yeah, what I liked about him is he was he was kind of an asshole, but he was also he was transparent and, and vulnerable in a way that was kind of really cool. Likas and he would won. say things like, uh, "Yeah, Likas when I was kind of fucked up. Like he was abusive towards women, just relationally." And I picked up on some of that. Um, but one of the things that he said that really struck me was it was he would he would go into some of that that levels between I can hold court right like I do this radio show because I can hold court like no one knows all the shit and steam and fucking garbage that's going on in my heart but up here I can smile and wave and and people like me and I got good at that too it's part of why I started dealing drugs, and, and part of it was the schools I was going to and just being a kid who couldn't fucking read right and study right or do his homework right. And I, But I could do relationships on a business kind of level really well, and drug dealers like me, like old drug dealers, you know. My first car I bought from a Coke dealer who lived just a few blocks from here in the 80s. And, uh, and so I entered that world. Because it made sense that I could hold court, you know. But at the same time, like you're saying with your with your kids, uh, they were just just down there. And I, every time they'd rise up, I'd push them push down, them. just push them down. You it's know? funny that you bring that up because I had real. I took it a different direction than you did. But the last kid that I wrote, I don't know if you guys have read it yet. Uh, is the tenth kid, and his name is. I named all these kids. Right. Uh, his name is Dylan, mm-hmm. and uh, Dylan Claybold. Uh And he, when I was sixteen, uh, the Matrix came out, and then Columbine happened. Mm-hmm. And I really, I loved the Matrix, and I really connected with the whole trench coat thing. Mm-hmm. So I decided I was going to start wearing trench coats, and then Columbine happened, and I'd already made the decision to start wearing trench coats. So I started wearing trench coats to school, and it freaked the fuck out of people. And all of a sudden, something shifted. And I realized, before I had just been this gross, nerdy kid, but now I was fucking scary. And scary had a huge amount of power yeah. to it. That, that all of a sudden, I was this kid that had no power whatsoever and was just at the whim of all these other people. Like, please like me, please like me, please like me. And then I leaned into this identity of, fuck you, I might kill you. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. and that totally shifted stuff. It didn't deepen the relationship, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden, I didn't have to. I didn't have to fucking die every time something bad happened. Mm-hmm. And so I started wearing trench coats. I wore all black. I had black fing- uh, uh, black uh, uh, fingernail polish. I would wear handcuffs as a belt. I had three pairs of handcuffs, <laughs> and I would put them through my belt loops. Which was awesome because I would wear them to school. And handcuffs are not a weapon, but they're pretty fucking close to a weapon. <laughs> yeah, that's right? right yeah. Like they're as close to a weapon as you can get without them actually a being a weapon. <laughs> that's right. And the, and the admin didn't know what to do with that. Like, <laughs> like there wasn't a rule. And I was a good, I was a good student. <laughs> and, I, and my teachers liked me. And I got along well with my teachers. So they just let it go. You're the goth kid. I, it was more. It was more than goth. I wasn't really goth. I wasn't into like the music or the scene. I was the. I might bring a shotgun and kill all of you. It was right. empowering. I might, I might. Yeah. and I wouldn't have. Right. Like like there was nothing in me that actually wanted to, but the like don't fuck with me. Yeah. Like and then all of a sudden everybody's relationships with me changed because there's 
there was an attraction to that all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Like like it went from like gross desperation uh, to like mysterious and edgy. Mm-hmm. Like like first of all, you know, f- fuck the man, right? Which is always attractive to all high school students. Yeah, because yeah. because I'm getting away with this. Yeah, because I've because I look like a fucking terrorist, mm-hmm. uh, and that and the principal, you know, would just walk by me in, in the hallways, and I just kind of stare him down, right? Like <laughs> right. like fucking do something. What are you gonna and do? <laughs> Uh, right. Or were you still lonely in the midst of that? Oh, super lonely, but it was yeah. so much better. Yeah. It was such a better type of loneliness. Right. I get it. It was a powerful loneliness. I would have always felt this is working, but it's about ready to fall apart. Mm-hmm. And it was a. See it again. Okay, I'm going to be lonely one way or another. Right. This is way better. Yeah. This is like, this is lonely on my terms. Might as well be lonely and powerful. Yeah. This is lonely yeah. because, because fuck you. This is not lonely because I need you. Mm-hmm. You know, then the crazy thing is, the more I talk to guys, about ninety nine point nine percent of them are lonely. Yeah, because they don't. They they're lonely in the sense that they feel that they can't be known. Yeah, and they feel like their struggles are alone. That they alone are struggling. Well, they probably all have that kid. Yeah. That yeah. and at some point right. they figured out being scary, masculine, over the top, aggressive is better than being that vulnerable little kid. Yeah. And 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 it totally and it makes. The ability to be connected with people way harder, yeah. uh, and then and then they adopt that, and then it solidifies, right? It turns into right. concrete, right. and then yeah. they can't get out of it ever because right. yeah. that's just the way I live life. The kid that made fun of John as he's jumping off the diving board, and the kids that would make fun of me, I look back at that kid, those kids now, with empathy, right. because I'm understanding more what they were doing. We're trying to do that, right? You know, they had their own yeah issues and pain, sure. And, and what my heart is, is that I will come alongside guys, and I'll, I'll only put up with bullshit for a minute. You know, if you're not going to be, if you don't want to be real, don't pull out your Sunday school theology on me. I don't want to hear it. I want to know what you're really feeling. Right. You know, and, and it's interesting, though, because as you talk and that stuff gets out in the light, it loses the power. You know, that, that fear, when you talk about being afraid, that fear dissipates when it's out there, when you've Put it out of the table. Well, I think that's part of the Well, thing. we create systems. We were talking about that or, you know, the previous episode where systems, churches are like this. So you feel like you have to pretend. Yes. Yep. You, you feel yeah. like you have to pretend. And that only exacerbates the loneliness. Yeah, it does. So that's hard. And, and it inflates the ego because oh, yeah. the ego is the thing that's holy or whatever is accepted or even like the trench coat thing it's like that's that that's the ego thing right like and that gets me accepted so like you're saying the concreteness of it i finally came up with a persona that other people like yeah right like it's not me but it's but but you know my persona previously was me and people didn't like it so okay i'll create something that is the new me and hey people like it or you know at least are kind of interested by it so i'll just Uh. lean into that but then the persona takes over and then and then somebody gives you that narrative so for me there was a guy that kind of gave me my narrative so when i was right before i'd quit high school i started dealing drugs and then and then some of the popular kids are like oh russ knows where to get coke or something right and i had fucking long hair at the time and i just looked total stoner guy and there was the stoners and the jocks and the stoners picked on the jocks, but then if you had some kind of status, you know, if you brought coke to school and, and showed some other kids that you had coke, um, you had a different social status. So so then the jocks would come to me and are like, oh, hey, guess what? And sometimes I I had the power, kind of like saying the trench coat, to go, yeah, fuck you, right. Like, my friends aren't going to fucking... They'll fucking kill you, man. Get the fuck away from me. Right. And it wasn't too long after that that I just quit high school. Um, and that wasn't healthy. But... And then I met a guy who was a kind of religious... Going back to our previous episode on religion. He had this religious kind of attitude towards getting high. And he said, you know, Russ... And he sort of gave a meaning and a purpose to my drug dealing. He's like, you know... There's a lot of pain in this world, and guys like you and I, you know what we do? We help alleviate some of that pain. And I'm like a 17-year-old kid, and I had a car, and I drove and stuff, and he's like, you know, you know what, I trust you. I think we're on the same page. And he'd hand me $1,000. 
I want you to buy some coke from this guy. I want you to take it into Seattle and sell it to these guys. Okay. <laughs> no, I thought I was pretty fucking cool, you know. But this guy was using me. He was, that's abuse, right? Mm -hmm. The word abuse means to abuse. So they're taking, they're using you for an ab sense of abnormal. Yeah. You're not just abnormal, but abnormal. destructive and yeah, yeah. Well, so let me yeah. land the plane on this on this episode. Uh, oh, I got one more thing. No, Go no, ahead. No, 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 I got a, I got a no, Henry no. Rollins thing. Henry Rollins had <laughs> had the best thing to say about loneliness. Do, do you want me to go you, ahead? You land. You land the <laughs> okay, plane. Land. You land the plane, but I'm, I'm gonna. I want to share this. Pull up for a second. I want to share this because <laughs> I think it's awesome. Okay. Henry Rollins. Henry Rollins is a. He was in Black Flag, and now he does these stand-up comedian shows and spoken, spoken word. word stuff. But he's mm -hmm. funny, and I think some of the funniest stuff he said was about him and relationships, and why he really couldn't connect with with the opposite sex, or you know. And he's he's and, and what I love about him is there's a lot of people who are single, and there's so much social pressure to to be married, right? And there's some people, you know, it's just okay to be single. It's okay, like don't shit on yourself because you're single. I can't find a mate. And and <laughs> Rollins, some of it, I don't know, some of it's not super healthy. Like it's funny, but it's just his comedy. Like he sees light in it where some people might see tragedy. Right. So he would be like with some woman and she'd be sharing. He'd ask her, how many books do you read? I don't read any books. And he'd be like, get out of the fucking car. <laughs> Stuff like that. Or what kind of bands are you doing? Do you like music? Yeah. You know, I really liked that last, uh, oh, what was it? The, uh, 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 whoever the popular. Katy Perry or something. Katie, something yeah, Dion. something like that. <laughs> The Jonas Brothers. I'm into that last Jonas Brothers album, and he'd like over. But he he said that there's something to being a single guy and going home to your apartment, and all there is behind that door is you, and you get to decide. And he says I have a record collection, and sometimes I the only thing that keeps me from feeling loneliness creep in is I put on a really good album and I listen to that whole album. And then I'll just go to bed. And and then the next day, I'll do it again. And I thought that was really beautiful, the way that he understands being just a single man in his 60s now, right? Without kids, without a wife, and he's totally cool with that. But he's also got a lot of relationships in his life, too. And he does, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, land the plane on this. Like, if you are listening to this and you still are mostly a Dylan... Like, consider breaking into that a little bit. And you yeah. probably need other people to do it. Actually, I'd say you almost you definitely need other people to do it. <laughs> yeah. So find, go find, go, you know, pull a fucking Chuck Polanak and go join a recovery group for something mm. you, know, you don't have. Or go, Meet Up. There's an app right. called Meet Up. Go find some people where you can be the little kid before you established your Dylan. Yeah. And start to break into that just a little bit and see if you can break that persona. And some people will go, oh, we'll go get a therapist. And I think you should get a therapist. That's a good friends. thing. But you need friends. Yeah, absolutely. You need friends. Absolutely. Your your therapist isn't your friend. Your friend your therapist is a clinician. Your therapist is is therapists are to so, so a friend is like a wife and a therapist is like a prostitute. <laughs> That's right? true. Oh, that is so fucking true. So, <laughs> that is so, so good. Your, your therapist is there. I gotta think <laughs> about this. I don't know. Oh, dear God. Because you're paying them to not... to. When you leave, they don't fucking care anymore. They, they care in the moment. They care in the moment. Uh, they got somebody coming in in another half hour. But their interest is the money that you pay them. <laughs> which is valuable. But... Right, but you need some friends too. My therapist yeah, is a very expensive friend. Right, exactly. <laughs> yes, it's your, yes. your prostitute. No. They do good. They're good. They're good. Okay, yeah. okay. Good That's a good place to like. Your therapist is your prostitute. Get off my plane. I think the worst time to have a heart attack is during a game of charades. That's a huge bitch. Thanks for listening to Punk Theology. Don't forget to subscribe. 
like to join us in having more ears hear this punk sound? Please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you may hear this fucking podcast. Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project, a limited liability corporation, who is responsible for its content. Don't you get-